Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. I lose you and then, and then I lose you. So, well done. So I just kept going. And um, as I kept going, um, you didn't have any time, did you, to... To talk. So, so, right. Um, obviously, the last few weeks we've been doing a series on um, worship. And j- just put your hand out if you just found that a helpful series. Okay, so most of us, most of us found that helpful. I think my approach to things like that is um, God has deposited something in us. It was just wonderful having Jake and Tinu with us. They, they loved being with you. Yeah, they really did. They, were, they spent the afternoon with us. They loved being here. They, they felt very welcome, very warm. Uh, lots of you chatted to them. Um, but also we had Simon and Anna, and that was just wonderful. And, and we had Jeremy and Laura, and that was wonderful. And then, you know, other people spoke. It, it's been great. And I, I'm, my faith in all of that is that God has deposited something in us as a people that we will see the fruits of it, yeah? So don't harden your hearts. It was also wonderful this morning to have people singing out and stuff, and um, we really want to encounter God in worship, but we also want to acknowledge that God does all sorts of things when we come to him in worship. He speaks to us, he heals us, he brings us to a place of forgiveness, he, re- he reassures us. There's, there's lots of things that go on, and I'm sure this morning many of us would have experienced them even if normally we don't think about it, that is what God does. Now, um, so, I, so I'm really believing God for that. And, you know, we had that moment which was never planned at the end of last week where all those who felt something for worship came out. And you'll remember if you were here that there were twice as many people out than there are in our worship band. So that's an encouragement um, to the worship team, I imagine, to Matt and Alicia. Um, I think Matt came out at the very end just to note who they were. And uh, I'm sure he'll be on to you if you are one of those who bravely put your head above the parapet. Um, so, so, so I really want us to hold that. God has spoken to us. Yeah, I want you to hold that. And I, and I want you to prayerfully consider what God has done and said. And um, you'll know that that was all part of our... You know, we have this vision cycle where we, we, we move around each year. And, and this particular term, we, we're going deeper. This is about maturity. And so that thing about worship, that was more than foundational. That was to help you and to help me. And uh, we move, really, this week into a, a kind of an odd thing where we're doing kind of two series within the one cycle. And this one we're beginning to look at today is around the parables of Jesus. And in fact, the plan was to do the parables this term, and then God spoke to us about worship, and we felt, oh, we've got to get that in. But it was the parables with what we were always planning to do this term. And so it comes to me to open this series up and... um, you know, there's a passage in the Bible. It just says simply this, and Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like. And with that phrase, Jesus begins to unpack a whole load of stories um, which we know as parables. 
And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is just try and unpack them and understand them as best we can. I don't promise that we'll understand everything because um, there's, a, there's a book that R.T. Kendall, who's a, who's a wonderful Christian writer and theologian, he writes about the parables and he said he'd always avoided preaching on the parables because he didn't understand them. And I thought, why have I said we're going to do the parables? Because I don't understand them. Yeah, uh, But I'm trusting that what little understanding I and others have will be helpful for us as a community. And the thing I'm always very keen on is that our understanding of God and his kingdom grows. And the more we understand who he is, what he's like, the stronger our relationship with him becomes. And also the more we can understand the world in which we live. Yeah, If we can understand who God is, if we can understand what the kingdom of God is like, then that will help you uh, in the world in which you live. It will help you to have realistic expectations. Um, and so that is kind of where we're going. And so I'm just going to pray as we kind of open this up and let's see what God wants to do. Father, we, we thank you just for your graciousness and your mercy and your kindness towards us as a people Uh, Lord, we believe it's for more than just us, but we know it is for us. And I pray, Father, that even in these moments you would speak to us as we look at these words, these words of Jesus, um, and that as we seek to unpack them as best we can, would you speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I... Um, I was going to say I love the parables. I'm not, I'm not sure I do love them yet. Some of them I clearly do. But there's, there's a phrase that uh, is used, and I just want to almost, this talk, it's called the secrets of the kingdom. The secrets of the kingdom. And just to give us a bit of background and context to where we go, we're going to be, we're going to be focused in one chapter of the Bible, Matthew chapter 13. Feel free to read it um, uh, at times when you're not here. But Matthew chapter 13 contains seven or eight parables in that one chapter. And it also contains why the parables were written. And that is kind of where we're going for the next few weeks. But I just want to put chapter 13 of Matthew, where Jesus begins to talk about the parables. I just want to give a little bit of context for that, uh, that discourse that he begins in Matthew chapter 13. Um, You'll know that the book of Matthew is, if you like, Matthew was one of the disciples, he was Jewish, and he wrote the book of Matthew primarily for the Jews. That's who he was writing for. One of the reasons that Matthew chapter 1 has all those names, it begins with all the names from right from Abraham, uh, Adam, right through to Jesus, is he is, he is showing the Jews of his day, look, this Jesus who we have talked about, he's absolutely connected to our history, not just spiritually but physically as well. He's connected. He's part of it. And he's showing them that through those early chapters of Matthew. And then when you go a little bit further, you read in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, Jesus began to teach the people. And you have the Beatitudes, you have the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the Beatitudes is this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
And you could, you could kind of summarise some of the parables with that phrase. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And then moving on from uh, Matthew chapter 5 and to 7, where he's teaching the people, in the next two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, he begins to heal the people. So he's taught the people, and he's brought teaching beyond which they've ever known before, and then he begins to heal the people. He heals the, the man with leprosy, he heals the centurion's servant, and the numbers of others of occasions where he's healing people in those chapters as that book goes on. Then, also in chapter 9, but also in chapter 10, Jesus began to call disciples and send them out. You'll know in Matthew chapter 10, there's a, it even begins with uh, Jesus sends out the 12. So he's gathered disciples in Matthew 9. He calls Matthew himself, among others, and then he sends them out in chapter 10 in order that they might go and they might minister to people. So you've got this process. He teaches them, he heals them, he calls them and sends them out. And then in chapters 11 and 12, Jesus begins to confront the people. Because by the time you get to chapter 11, Jesus has gathered a crowd. His teaching is amazing The healing is amazing. People are following him. He's got loads of people that are following him. Yeah, he's becoming very popular. He begins to confront the people. He begins to bring judgment on their towns and he begins to bring judgment on the Pharisees. Woe to you, he says. Woe to you. Now, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because you would have thought the moment you become popular, the one thing you don't want to do is do something that loses your popularity. Yeah? If I become really popular and I realise, oh, when I do that, people like me, I'm going to want to do that more. Whereas Jesus, the moment he becomes popular, he begins to confront. He begins to confront the people. Woe to you, he says in Matthew 11, as he speaks to uh, the different towns in, in terms of what's been done in you. If it had been done in these other places, they would have repented long ago. And then he describes the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. Now, obviously to us, what does that mean? But I, I imagine in those days that must have been quite offensive it's much not particularly offensive to me. If somebody says, you're a brood of vipers, I'd be like, okay, I um, don't know what you mean. Um, we don't have vipers here as such. Um, but Jesus begins to do that, and then, after all of that, after Jesus has gone on this journey where he is, he's taught them, he's healed them, he's sent them out, his disciples particularly, and then he's confronted them, there comes to this point where he begins to speak to them in parables, and what does that do? It does two things. It separates out his disciples from the crowd, yeah, because the parables were for his disciples to train them, for the crowd it was to expose them. Jesus begins a process of exposing people. Yeah, using parables to expose them, to expose their hearts and their motives. He uses the parables to separate them out. And then very early on, he, he speaks, he gives one parable, and then immediately his disciples say to him, why do you speak to the people in parables? What's, what's that about? Jesus replies, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. 
Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And then later on in that same chapter, he says, it says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. This is not a very PC or modern passage of scripture. The secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Yeah? Very naturally, we react to where people are, dis- we make that kind of distinction. I am giving something to you, but I am not giving it to you. Oh, how, how, who are you to do that? How dare you do that? Yeah, that if for us, that is a natural reaction. And so already, simply talking about Jesus' parables in us, there is something about, oh, why does Jesus do that? So there are two kinds of secrets. I don't know uh, what you were like growing up, but, you know, when you're at school, and um, this probably happened to all of us at different times, people would tell you secrets, yeah? Your friend would come and whisper in your ear, and you know the moment somebody does that, um, if, if you're not the person who's having their ear whispered into, you immediately feel, oh, yeah, you feel a bit funny, yeah? It immediately separates you, yeah? There's an immediate separation between he whose ear is being whispered into, even if it's just, yeah? If I went and whispered into Pauline's ear, you'd be like, even though she's my wife and I have every right to, to do that, you'd still be thinking, what's he whispering? What's he doing? Yeah, because that's how we are, yeah? Secrets separate people, yeah? Secrets separate people. And there are different kinds of secrets. There are, there are those secrets which are just like, you know, I tell my, you tell your friend something, and it's like really it's nonsense, it doesn't mean anything, yeah? But then there are other secrets. There are secrets that, for whatever reason, we don't want them to get out. There are the dark secrets, there are the secrets where we go, oh, if, uh, if people knew that about me, yeah, it's a secret, yeah? Some of us live with secrets, yeah? Now, actually, uh, getting secrets out in, a, in an appropriate way is always a good thing, yeah? But some of us live with secrets. There are secrets that, for whatever reason, we don't want them to get out. They might be personal. It might be to do with some history or whatever it is. There are secrets 
that we have. But then there are secrets that, 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 that can be found out. You know, they're just, they're just not known. Yeah, they're just not known. I mean, I remember um, I was at a meeting yesterday uh, about New Day, and, and one of the guys did a little presentation about the pastoral care at New Day. Somebody at the end said to him, gosh, we should be shouting that from the rooftops. Nobody knows we do that, and yet if they knew we did that, they would come. Yeah, we just haven't, it's just not got out. Yeah. And then in God, there are secrets. And God makes no apology for having secrets and telling things to some people and not telling them to other people. And God's secrets are found through revelation. You can't, you can't work them out, yeah? You can't humanly work out the secrets of God, like, oh, I'm just going to think about, God's got some secrets. What are his secrets? You can't work them out. It comes by revelation. God brings revelation. Jesus says, I'm speaking secrets of the kingdom to you, but not to them. There are different kinds of secrets. And the secrets that he's speaking about are the way the kingdom of heaven functions. Yeah? He's telling things to his disciples that he's not telling to other people. But actually the way he does that, it's not so much that he's saying, okay, you're my disciples, I'm going to tell you. The distinction is not about, do I call you a disciple? The distinction is about your openness to hear him. Yeah? If you are open, if you are willing to listen, then actually you can hear his secrets. You can hear about the kingdom. But if you're not open, if you're not willing to listen, you will not hear about the kingdom. Because the kingdom is concealed and it requires revelation. In Matthew 11, verse 25, it says this. At that time, this is after the disciples had gone out and various um, challenges had happened, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. It's not literally, it's not necessarily literally that he has revealed them to little children, but it's very much that he has revealed them to people who have childlike faith, who hear him. You've got the wise and learned who work things out, And then you have childlike faith where you believe and you trust God. We were praying earlier, just before we came in, we were just in a group, we were praying, we were praying at one point for our nation and then uh, one of the guys was just talking about the fact that we live in a nation where um, it used to be Christian, it used to be a nation that loved God and it isn't anymore. How do we know that? Because at a moment of crisis, nobody prays. Nobody prays. Nobody says, we need to seek God. At the beginning of the Second World War, we were reminded of in that very same meeting, at the beginning of the Second World War, the king called the country to pray. Who's calling you to pray? Apart from your pastor, who may be a little bit obsessed. obsessed Can we come and pray? Come and pray, come and pray. No one's calling us to pray. We're working out, we're meeting this, we're putting through this resolution and that resolution, this new amendment and that new amendment. Can I get you to think this? Can I do that? Can I win you here? Can I? No one's praying. Or if they are, they're not praying to God. Yeah, I don't know what they're praying to or who they're praying to, but they're not praying. Yeah, People who even call themselves Christian are not obviously praying. 
Yeah? We're godless. We are. We're godless because we don't turn to God. You're godless when you don't turn to God when you need God. Yeah? That's when you're godless. Whereas I imagine for many of us, when it all gets a bit much, we go, oh God, help me. No one's saying that. No one's saying that. And yet, uh, God says that he, the, the wise and the learned, it's hidden from them and it's revealed to little children. Now, it may well also be literally little children. Why does he do that? Why does God hide things from the wise and the learned and reveal them to little children? The answer's there. For this is what you were pleased to do. It's just his prerogative. I'm going to reveal and I'm going to conceal. And the same story will do both things. It will reveal to some and it will conceal to others. It's interesting to remember the time in which Jesus lived and was born. He was, he was born at a time when Rome was the dominant empire. Rome, the Romans were dominant. And they were very powerful. They had conquered the known world. Uh, some people would say that one of the reasons that the gospel spread so quickly under Roman occupation was because Rome had built roads that allowed people to go. Also because most people spoke one language. Yeah, the Latins were spoken by, I suppose, the intellectuals and, and Aramaic and Greek. Greek was spoken by the masses. So it made it easy for the gospel to be spread. Whatever it was, the gospel was born into that massive, very... Yeah, okay, so this is on... I, I was right there, wasn't I? I was right there. I was talking about Rome. And, uh, um, uh, yeah, so just the, just the power of Rome. So Rome is this massive, um, I suppose, empire... Um, and, you know, it dominated the known world. And you hear all about the different Caesars. And, and even today you, you see stuff. But the, and, and the kingdom of heaven was born into that. It comes into that. Jesus is born into that. He's dominated by Rome. He's having to give his penny worth to Caesar and all that kind of stuff. It begins very, very small. You had the might of Rome, you had the philosophy of the Greeks. Yet today, Rome is no more than a relic. It's a piece of history. Yeah? It, it, you can go to Rome, and, and Paulie and I, we went to Rome, and you can see some stuff, but it's like thousands of years old. You can go to the library, and you can get a book about the history of the Roman Empire, but it no longer exists. But this kingdom that was born in Rome and was persecuted mercilessly for the first 300 years still exists. We're part of it. The kingdom of heaven, which he talks about being secret, thousands of years later, it's still going. Rome has ended. If you really want to know about Rome, you need to go to the library. Yeah? But if you want to know about the kingdom that Jesus talked about, you simply need to go to, the, to church or you need to open the Bible. You can experience it for yourself today. 
There is something very different about this kingdom. Zechariah 4, it tells us, don't despise the day of small beginnings. The kingdom of God began very, very small, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. There are two comments in this passage that I just want to unpack a little. I don't know how well I'll do it, but I just want to unpack them. The first is Jesus says, whoever has will be given more. And I remember being baffled by that passage for years. I thought, because I always thought about it in a material way, I thought, it just seems unfair. It just seems unfair. Whoever has will be given more, and he who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken from him. I thought, that just seems unfair. Why would you do that? And yet, he's not talking in a material sense. He's not talking about money and those things. He's talking about the eyes and the ears of the heart being open to God and who Jesus is and the kingdom of heaven beginning here on earth. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, there is much for you. There's abundance for you. There is abundant life for you. There is blessing for you. There is peace for you. If you can see when Jesus was there walking on the earth, if you were among those that saw him, that understood it, that you were like the, um, the heart who was good soil, and, and there's abundance for you. But if you didn't see that, if Jesus walked past you every day and you listened to his talking, but your ears were closed and your eyes were blinded to the truth, It then says, whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. If your eyes are not open and your heart is hard, you lose out. You lose out. You just lose out. You can battle really hard to make life work, but making life work on your own is very different to understanding what it is to live under the blessing of God. And we must understand that, that the blessing of God is not purely about experiences. It's not purely about how much money do I have. Oh, look, God's blessed me with lots. It's not about those. God gives you so much more. He gives you peace. If you are a Christian, you should know peace. God gives you peace. God gives you hope. God gives you purpose. God gives you community. If you understand that God gives you those things, you might see those things differently. God takes you from darkness and he puts you into his marvellous light. Jesus used the parables not only to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, it tells us that, but also to separate out those who would be open to him, whose eyes would be open, and those who were not open to him. So having gained all these big crowds of people, when he began to speak in parables, it began to change. People began to walk away from him. And then he says to his disciples, and again he would say to us, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see. So there had been generations of disciples that never experienced this revelation of God. There were generations of disciples that never walked with God. They never knew Jesus on the earth. They never knew him as the Son of God. They never knew that moment. And even more than them, there's generations who've never known what we know about God. 
They never had the word in the way that we have it. They never had the experience of the Holy Spirit in the way that we have it. They never, they never had the ability to go, oh, the Bible promised something which I have, I have been the fulfillment of. They didn't know that. But we know that. We know that. Generations of disciples never experienced. They saw visions and dreams and pictures, what was to come, but they didn't walk the earth that Jesus walked. They didn't, they didn't understand the Emmanuel God with us. They saw through a glass darkly. They saw it darkly in the distance. Loads of prophetic utterances in the Old Testament that point to something that is to come. Yeah? Do you know what? For many of us, for all of us, we don't need to point to something that's to come. We can point to something that's happened. Yeah? And one of the reasons we can look forward to the day, to that day, when he comes again, when he will fulfill all his promises, why do we look forward to that with such assurance? Because of what he has done. Oh, yeah. It's a bit like if you, um, when we were younger, and years ago, they used to, you may not have known this, but they used to have milkmen, yeah? Milkmen would come round almost to your house. They'd put milk outside, and occasionally it'd get nicked, but most of the time it was there when you went out. Um, and you came to know that, you know, the milkman had come for 100 days. He's going to come on the 101st day, yeah? So you would plan for whatever else you planned for, that the milk would be there. You knew it would be there, yeah? Because the history of the milkman was he was always there, yeah? He never, there weren't days when he didn't come, and then sometimes there's milk and sometimes there's not milk. There's always milk. We have the, 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 the word of God and we have the Holy Spirit which teaches us that God has fulfilled his promises. So we have confidence that God will continue to fulfill his promises. That should be comfort to you. That truth should be comfort to you. And if it's not comfort to you, it may be that you need to just try and shift your faith somewhere because it should be comfort to you and to me. So as I was thinking about the parables and going through them, I realized, um, I began to reflect on the fact that in some versions of the Bible, mainly older versions of the Bible, <coughs> and I don't know how many of you have ever read it, you'll have versions of the Bible which put the, the words of Jesus in red. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, so we've, most of us have seen that. Um, probably you don't use those versions of the Bible because they're quite old in terms of their language. But the words of Jesus are in red. Yeah, and it's normally the old King James or the Revised Standard Version. As I was thinking about the parables, I, I, I just began to see why. why. Why would they be in red? You see, all the other words of the Bible, even prophecy, which may come from God, are man's words. They're, they're, they're words of people like you and me who are grappling with their own experiences of God, their own understanding of God. Yeah, all the Psalms I can relate to, but they're, they're written by people like you and me who are grappling with their understanding of God. But the words of Jesus are different. They're different. They're not, they're not like that. They're not the same as David's words. They are different. All those words are man's words. 
which means that they are affected not just by human frailty, yeah, are, are just humanness, our emotions and all that kind of stuff, but they are also affected by human fallenness, yeah, by the fact that we are sinners, yeah, by the fact that we, we, we've been born into sin. And so that, that is, affects our understanding of God, how we speak to God, how we understand God. But that is not Jesus. Jesus is affected by human frailty in the sense of emotion. We read about Jesus being tired and thirsty. Jesus got angry. There were various things that are very human about Jesus. But he wasn't fallen. He wasn't sinful. So when he says, I want to reveal the secrets of the kingdom to you, it's very different to when anyone else says anything in the Bible. It's very different. It helps us in a more direct way to understand who God is. And what you think about God is the most important thing. You understand God as a father, as a God of kindness and grace. You will come to him like that. By the age of five, even younger than that, children know what their parents are like. And will your child be one who runs to you Regardless, yeah, I've told this before. My testimony when I first went to church was I was shocked when I saw children running to their parents and grabbing the trousers leg of their dad and saying, Daddy, 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 Daddy. I thought, how dare you do that? You can't do that to your dad. But you can't do that. That's not how you talk to your dad. But if you understand your dad, your father, as being kind and gracious, you'll do that. You understand your Father in heaven as being kind and gracious. You will come to him with everything. Everything. You won't think to yourself, I need to prepare myself because I'm going to pray this morning and these prayers are going to be serious ones. You don't approach God like that. You would be be shocked and disappointed if you stood outside your seven-year-old's room and you heard them say, I need to approach mummy today. In order to do that, I must put on my best dress. Because when I approach mummy, I know she's going to ask me, what have you washed today or whatever? You would be, oh my goodness, what have I done? If you're like that with your child, how much more will God receive you when you come to him like a child? It's the words of Jesus. So, so the reason that's important is, is we hear the words of Jesus and it helps us to understand what God is like. Understanding what God is like will affect how we approach him. And approaching him is part of life. You've got to learn to do that. You've got to learn to come to him. Yeah? Some of you still have a little mixed up theology about prayer. Oh, sometimes I pray, sometimes I'm not sure. I wasn't good today, I didn't do that. Come on, we've got to move on from that. Yeah, there is grace for you. You must understand grace. That he accepts you. What does it say in Ephesians 2, verse 8, 9, and 10? It says, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died. He didn't die after you had come out of sin or when you thought, look, I'm just doing my best. to." No, whilst you were still sinners, Christ died. 
But that is still to be our experience. So understanding him, this is why the parables are important for us. Because if we understand the kingdom of heaven, we understand what God is like, then we will know what it is to come to him. We'll understand more and more, how do I approach him? How do I be comfortable and confident within this kingdom that I'm in? Yeah? He wants you to be. You need to be. So just as we finish... And this is important for us to understand. People are not fundamentally divided by what we call ourselves. We call ourselves Christian. Yeah? Calling myself a Christian is not what divides me from those who are not Christian. In some ways, that's just a word. Lots of people call themselves Christian. Yeah? And you'll know people who call themselves Christian and you won't say it, but you'll be thinking, really? The fact that I call myself Christian isn't the thing that divides me from people who are not Christian. The fact that I go to church is not the thing that divides me or separates me from people who don't go to church. Yeah? That alone is not it. If I think it's that, then I've missed something. It's rather, how open is your heart to Jesus and his kingdom? If you be Christian, how open are you? Are you one of those where the secrets of the kingdom have been revealed to? Because your eyes are open and your ears are open. That's the thing that distinguishes you. Jesus brought distinction by speaking in parables because he knew that parables would separate out those who are open to him and those who are not open to him. We hear the parables in a similar way. And the hope is that in our hearts, it's, oh God, I don't always get it, but I so desire to follow your way. That's the thing. I desire to do it. I come again this morning to follow your way. This series, hopefully, will help us to understand his kingdom and so be able to embrace him more. Blessed are you because you see. Blessed are you because you see. Let's pray. Why don't we just stand together? I'm just going to pray. We're just, let's, let's just uh, close our eyes and just maybe reflect or think for a moment. <clears throat> the big thing for me here, as I've said, is that these these parables, these stories that Jesus told where he, he was exposing in people's hearts and he was just speaking about the kingdom because he wanted people to understand it more. It's simple that you would understand it more. And that you would understand more what it means to be part of the kingdom of heaven. To be in the, in the kingdom where Jesus reigns and all that comes with that all the blessing that comes with that, all the promises that are part of that, all the fruitfulness that comes with it. Father, I, I pray for us this morning. I thank you that you're with us. I thank you for the way you've spoken in so many different ways this morning and through the worship and in, you speak to us. I pray now, Father, that you would open our eyes.
open our ears. I pray for that, Father. I pray that whatever seeds get dropped in over these weeks will be seeds that bear much fruit in our lives. We would become people of the kingdom, confident and comfortable in all that you're doing. Father, I long for a community that knows how to approach you. Because I have lots of false myths and funny ideas about how do I approach God. The seven-year-old putting on the dress to go and say hi to mummy. That's not how we approach God. And that's not how children approach their parents. Father, I pray that you would speak to us, help us, remove from us all the things that are invisible barriers to our coming to and embracing all that you have for us. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.